You were born with individual strengths and a unique purpose. Don't let fears, false beliefs, or life's happenings diminish your influence. It's time to live and lead for impact. Host Kirsten Ross, expert of transformation, will help you defeat the drama and overcome the trauma that can stop you in your tracks. You'll gain focus, find confidence, and take bold action. Unleash passionate, purposeful you. Let's go. Welcome to Live and Lead for Impact. I'm Kirsten Rosvogel, your host, and this is episode 281. Today, I have Hamish McDonald with me. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. He's originally from New Zealand. Hamish has been building medical software for nearly two decades around the world, including the US, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia. His goal is to have people everywhere be able to get and control their healthcare data, including owning it as a personal asset so they can financially benefit from it. Welcome, Hamish. Thank you very much, Kirsten. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. And you know, I, ha I have to say I'm quite intrigued with this, especially this to financially benefit from. And I mean, I think we all worry about, you know, just the confidentiality of health mm. data, but I worked for a large healthcare organization for years and I still remember, you know, and this is years ago, but I still remember a time being in a meeting where a health insurance company was going to capitalize on aggregate health data. And so this is intriguing to me because, you know, it really, I was like, Ooh, they do not know who I work for right now. And anyway, so it's, it's kind of, it, it brought that to mind. And so I'm really interested to hear what you're up to and tell me about this a little bit more. Well, it's interesting you say that, Kirsten. It's becoming more and more topical and more and more common, even though we're not aware it's happening, that people and companies are indeed utilizing and selling our healthcare data without any knowledge of us it happening. And even when we do have knowledge of it happening, we don't get any benefit from it and they take all the money that it's worth. So it's becoming, we think it's something that's fundamental to every person that should be the right to own and control a copy of the healthcare data and hold it as an asset. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how people do that, how you help them do that. Well, we have a platform that allows people to be able to build the most valuable healthcare data set that exists about them. Okay, so if you think about that, there are medical codes that a hospital will have, a clinic will have, but they've never been uh, used in a way that individuals can harness and use for their own benefit. So we built a platform, we took those medical codes, and we put them under the power of an individual to be able to simply fill out questionnaires, answer questions, and that may all be English on the top. But underneath, we use those same what's known as interoperable clinical codes to create an interoperable record of your data that now you can share and utilize as if it was actual machine readable medical codes, even though you don't have to know any of those codes under the covers. Hmm. And now how would someone go about, in what ways would they gain financially from, from having using your software and having, having their information uh, saved in this way? Yeah, good question. So I guess we're looking now more deeply at what an asset really is. And from our point of view, it should be an asset for both receiving safe and appropriate healthcare, uh, as well as for wealth generation. So your, your doctor, the people People looking after you, your family caregivers, that information needs to be up to date. It needs to be accurate. Uh, there have been studies over many years in the United States showing that up to 30% of data in electronic health records is incorrect. Those are studies from claims records from insurance companies. Uh, so it's, it's a rife problem 
that the existing records out there have inaccuracies uh, and you need to be able to both correct them uh, and also build what we believe to be the most high quality accurate data set about you under your ownership. And that's where the second part of holding an asset that's yours comes into play. And that's the wealth part, because particularly as AI and genomics begins to make healthcare data more and more valuable, and that trend is only going to accelerate, the reality is I, even if I haven't met you before, Kirsten, I already know that no matter who you are or how wealthy you are, how clever or how connected you may be, you probably don't have a usable copy of your healthcare data, much less own it. Am I correct in your case, Kirsten? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I would say it is uh, sprinkled about, and <laughs> I honestly... Mm, I try to keep a lot of my health information just out of out of the purview of medical facilities, honestly. And that's not uncommon at all. And so we want to change that by actually having you own your data set. A copy, of course, every hospital, every clinic, every, every part of the medical system you come into contact with needs to have their copy of data about you. That's important for all kinds of reasons. But if you can have under your control and ownership uh, the, the most valuable copy, then, and that's interoperable with other systems, then you're able to both keep track of care you're receiving, make sure it's appropriate. And this may also be in the role of a caregiver as well. But also you're then in a position to start potentially monetizing some of the, the value that a healthcare data set has. So it's, it's dual pronged. There's two, two means behind an asset that the healthcare record we believe should be in this day and age. Very interesting. So tell me what experiences motivate you the most to make this unique impact? Ooh. Well, personally, it would go back 19 years to 2003. I recall my own um, hair down the back of the neck moment. And that was when I first found out from a doctor in 2003 that people didn't have access to much less own a copy of the healthcare data. And I guess if I'd known how hard it would be back then, it was, it was way too early. I would have done something else for a decade while various technology and cultural developments that needed to take place took place. And it makes it possible now. But in any case, you know, today I, I see it as both an opportunity, but I also even back then saw it as fundamentally wrong that in an age now where data is the most valuable asset on the planet, we shouldn't be begging for access to our records. We should already have the best and the most complete set of healthcare data that exists about us in our hands. So that was something I fundamentally felt uh, 19 years ago, and nothing has changed, but now it is possible to do. In, in the intervening years, you know, I, I've met thousands and thousands of stakeholders in healthcare, everyone from doctors to administrators, you know, of course, pharmacists, nurses, other allied health workers, clinical governance committees, community health workers, you know, IT vendors, standards committees, but most importantly, patients, because we as patients, people, we're usually at the end of the line when it comes to getting our own healthcare data. You meet patients and the human cost of not having the data at the right time in the right place, it really hits home. Uh, there's someone called Graham Grieve, actually, who uh, said he, he created the FIRE standard, the Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources, back in 2011. And he said something quite famous. He said that healthcare has gaps. The gaps turn into chasms and people's lives fall through the chasms. And that's what happens when healthcare vendors and healthcare providers aren't able to have your data move around from place to place as it should be. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. You alluded to it before, Kirsten, when you said privacy and 
and I want to control it myself. Well, yes, we believe you should control a copy of that. It should be under your control. And the specific pieces that you want to share with such and such a provider or a caregiver should also be under your control. So, you know, it's been a 19-year journey, but those experiences, those human experiences you meet over 19 years of meeting people who, who suffer and aren't able to utilize themselves of all the advances uh, in medical data that's taken place in the past 19 years, we want to put that in people's hands. So, yeah, and I feel like right now, well, over quite a, quite a number of years, you really have to be an advocate or have someone be an advocate for you around your health. And yeah, so it seems like we're mostly kind of, you're, you're giving me a lot of food for thought today. We're kind of well, um, going blind a little bit, running blind <laughs> when oh, we're trying we, to advocate for ourselves. We do. And, and interesting you bring the word advocacy up because one of the things that's important is to create a community. So one of the things about the Sovereignty Network is we have a community where you can come and learn, you can come and help others with your knowledge, how to get your health data, how to make it more valuable, how to uh, be able to leverage it uh, also for, for financial gain. And so, yeah, if everyone is, is an island of one and we're all struggling just to maintain our core data sets in an Excel sheet or bits of sticky tape on the fridge or whatever it may be, we're missing out. But there's a lot we can do now in reality. And so to be able to be able to talk with others in a community and find out how to apply what's possible now to your own life and to your own family's lives, yeah, that's an essential part. Of, of being able to help people come into the medical data world. And, you know, you've done this all around the world in so many different countries. And I'm curious, you know, what <laughs> I know the healthcare system in the United States is <laughs> a hot mess, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, what are some of the differences that you see in terms of privacy, access to quality healthcare, cost of healthcare and insurance, those kinds of things where you've been? Well, funnily enough, the United States has kind of come from way back to leading the pack in many ways because of the FIRE standard I mentioned before. And again, that stands for Fast Healthcare Interoper Interoperability Resources. A bit of a mouthful to say out loud, but FIRE is what it is. Uh, and, and that data standard has now been mandated in the United States by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, which effectively means all providers in the United States have to abide by it. Now, what does that mean for us as people? Well, if your local clinic or your local hospital now has data as they need to in FIRE format, as it's called, it can now be exchanged much more easily with other providers and go where it needs to go. Uh, and if you can put that under an individual's control, because there's no reason why an individual shouldn't have those FIRE you know, fire resources sitting on their phone, for example, then you are also able to start inserting yourself in the conversation and say, well, I have my own copy of the data here. And by the way, uh, the provider over here doesn't know I have, you know, hypertensive diagnosis. My provider over here from a year ago doesn't know that I had such and such a medication. I know those two bits of information. I have them in fire coding. And so I can bring those bits of information together and have a more accurate record under my control and my ownership. So your question was what the United States is a hot mess. Well, actually in terms of interoperability, it's <laughs> rather like, leading. It's leading yeah, the it world sounds like now. information wise, we're good <laughs> or better, Info better than get, other Getting places. better. It's a process. Yeah. And there's things like data blocking, which we can get into in in more depth, maybe another time. Providers aren't used to having to share data with, with patients, heaven forbid, but now they have to uh, through regulation. Regulation can be a wonderful tool. And so that's what's happening. So it's really exciting to see what's happening in the United States, actually. There's a there's a lot of cause for hope that in the next you know, two to three to five years, a lot of information you need as a consumer, as a patient will flow where it needs to go, when it needs to go. Great. So as you've been doing this work, if you stop and think for a minute, 
about one particular circumstance where you really made an impact for someone or a family that really continues to fuel your passion? What What is that? You know, I think that would have to be last year, what we did in Rwanda. And I think a lot of people's memories of Rwanda may not go beyond the 1990s when they had the genocide, but it's now one of the most go forward, technologically advanced, wonderful societies in the entire African continent. And last year we started uh, working with Snowbed International and other standards organization, and they co-sponsored us to do a whole lot of work there. And this was during the pandemic. So we couldn't get down on the ground. We had to do the entire planning from scratch you know, using VOIP and telephone and emails. And yet what we managed to do for community health workers on the ground and, and their family patients that go out and visit remote villages, we put an iPad in their hands. We put our software there, uh, and then we measured what had happened in October last year. And effectively, the community health workers, who really are the backbone of so much rural health care in, in Africa, particularly in a place like Rwanda, because you know they're two or three days separated from the nearest hospital or clinic. And so even though they're not clinicians, they are almost a triage point between the kind of care you're going to get and you know, the difference between you not getting any care at all and getting to the clinic as soon as possible. So they have a huge responsibility on their shoulders as non-clinicians to try and triage and get people the care they need. Long story short, using our software on an iPad as opposed to carrying around 16 kilograms of books and paper notepads every day. They reduced their consultation time from 20 minutes to five minutes with the patient. It was safer because there was less notation errors because we had automatic fields where, you know, there was no chance of having a drug notation, put milligrams instead of, you know, instead of grams, for example. Uh, it was easier to use. As I said, it was an iPad rather than lugging around a whole lot of notes that get lost and get dirty, destroyed, etc. And it was more relevant because at the touch of a button, they were able to, depending on whether they were the community health worker or the patient or a clinician, remote, they could, at the touch of a button, switch between English or French or the local language Kenya Rwandan. So that was pretty impressive. It had a, a big effect on patients, of course, because they were able to see their data was actually going somewhere in a format much more quickly uh, and more accurately than it was before. So in terms of impact and seeing the kind of impact that that made on the ground, as well as the you know, the sheer joy that the community health workers were able to feel in terms of being able to do their job with their patients more quickly, more accurately. That was, yeah, that, that was a highlight for us last year. Wow. Well, that is impressive. How amazing. So if someone's listening right now, well, one, I mean, are you looking to connect more with people on the healthcare side or individuals? And what would be a next step for someone who is thinking like, I need more access or I need more aggregated data or I need to own my own personal data? What are some next steps? Mm, yep. Good points. It's actually both. We are a marketplace where we call patients data owners. So that tells you where our loyalty lies. We think every person should own their own data set. So on one side of the marketplace, we help people set up and build the most valuable data set codified in all these you know, modern clinical coding languages underneath the covers. We help them build the most wide ranging view of their data set. So it's not just clinicals, but it's also things like your psychosocial, how you're feeling, your lifestyle, your diet, all these other things that normally wouldn't be captured in an electronic health record, but they really do tell the story of your longitudinal record, you know, of your health life. The more you can do that, the more valuable it becomes. 
Now that then hooks in the other side of the marketplace. There are data researchers who would very happily, if they could identify you with your permission, make you an offer to fill out a survey because you happen to fit the right demographic or the right condition. Maybe you're taking a certain medication they want to study more. And there are research projects failing all the time because they can't find the right participants within the period of time necessary. So we provide a matching service. Once you have a valuable data set that's interoperable, you can use it for or more appropriate healthcare for yourself, but you're also able to put your hand up electronically and say, look, if I happen to fall into the research uh, survey uh, requirements of a researcher around the world, it doesn't have to be in your local area. Um, and I know for a fact, if you go to universities, you still find bits of paper stuck up and quadrangles with telephone numbers hanging off the bottom. From, uh, and it's a local researcher hoping to find someone who happens to fit their research criteria. Well, if you can do that electronically and have a codified set of data that's most valuable about you, you're in a position then to be able to perhaps receive, who knows, $50, $100 for filling out a 30-minute survey because you happen to fit the right data set. And moving forward, we also think you should be able to license pieces of your data set, not all. You made a very important point before, Kirsten, that you want privacy to be very important here. Because we've codified everything, you may decide to share this medication and this condition and your demographic, your Age, maybe five or six other set pieces of data from thousands of data points, you just share those 10 data points. And each of them have a special clinical code. And our system also allows a clinician, we call a data coach, to come in and verify that data. And then, so, so now the data researcher uh, is able to say, okay, I know that Kirsten is real. I don't necessarily know her name, but I do know she's a real person vetted by a clinician and she has these 10 data points as per our database. Well, now you're in a position to actually start leveraging and earning money from your data set while building it up for your own healthcare as well. So how would you take part in that? We're actually uh, doing a Kickstarter now. And so you can go and find us on Kickstarter uh, under the Sovereignty Network. And please, by all means, join us. We have a number of packs that you can also sponsor other people, people you may know in need, or else uh, we do have an, an African sponsor pack as well. You can sponsor people in Africa, or if you don't really need your healthcare data at this stage, you can donate to it because we are doing this for some fantastic reasons. And there are a lot of people who are in real need of a better data data set uh, around the world. So this is truly global. So I'd encourage you to go to kickstarter.com and look for us, uh, the Sovereignty Network there, and please do partake. And it's the Sovereignty Network, correct? Correct. Kickstarter? The, the Sovereignty, Sovereignty Network. Network. Great. And that will be on today's show notes, uh, by the way. So if you are listening and want to go grab that, we will include that on, on today's show notes for episode 281. So Hamish, I want to ask and how yeah I had not my brain hadn't gone to that possibility that now you can participate so win-win participate in some studies make it easier for people who are doing research to gain access to what they need and also so you're helping for the greater good but also making a little bit of money C correct and we do believe that it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out we do think that people are going to donate that parts of their data set to organizations and causes that they support but they're probably going to license their data for money to for-profit companies. It's going to be really interesting to see the balance of decisions people make once they have this data set under their control. Yes, for sure. So tell me, what has been your biggest internal or external challenge that you've had to overcome as you work to make this impact? Oh, for sure, it was being way too early. I mean, back in 2003, there were no smartphones, no cloud computing, there was no devices, sensors, there was no mass adoption of these medical codes.
voting standards we're talking about now. And consumers also have only recently begun to wake up to the fact that they are the product and a few entities are making huge amounts of money from the many. And in the case of healthcare data, it's our data and our bodies are producing that data every single day. So I guess the biggest challenge we've had to overcome is over 19 years being way too early and then having to wait for a number of major trends from consumer acceptance and understanding through to standards and even basic technology that allows this to take place. So yeah, maybe if I'd, if I'd known how long it would take, I would have waited 10 years before starting. But then again, you meet all the stakeholders over 19 years. And I think that that toughens you up for, for understanding what's important so that now we can actually help people do what was just a dream 19 years ago. Well, and it definitely shows you're tenacious. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to <that>. stay <laughs> to stay committed for that long. Curious, do you feel like, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but there was so much uh, in like learning that Facebook was farming our data and learning about us and all of that. And it seemed like at that point, people became more aware of the value of <laughs> us and the things about us that were being used and that others were profiting from. Do you think that had any, did that play any part in people becoming more aware? Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, that was yeah. a big turning point. But also it's become a big topic, hasn't it, the past three or four years, you know, disinformation, misinformation. Yeah. People do tend to, it's very easy now to stay in a certain channel of information and not see anything outside that channel. And those of us who are old enough to remember broad broadcast TV and radio, you know, you, you heard all kinds of views all the time. And so unfortunately, you know, Companies that are very good at using AI algorithms are able to make vast amounts of money from our data movements every time our thumb touches a screen. And we want to reverse that. We want to be able to have people have the majority of financial benefits from what they're doing touching screens. And healthcare data is a great place to start because it's inherently valuable. Uh, and it's also intensely personal. It's our data. We produce it every day simply through the simple fact of being alive. And so we should, I believe, have a stake going forward, an ownership stake, not just an access stake, but an actual ownership stake in our data so we can both profit and also receive better health from having our healthcare data under, or at least a copy of our healthcare data under our control and under our ownership. Yeah. Yeah. So during that 19 year period where you were climbing an uphill battle of waiting for technology and people's uh, emphasis on it, focus on it, how did you stay motivated and moving during that entire time? I Good question. Uh, at the beginning, I mean, I've always had since the beginning that realization that people didn't have access to much less ownership of healthcare data. So that vision sustains you. But, you know, then again, as you go over such a long period of time you know, through tough times, et cetera, you, you learn what works and what doesn't work. And, and the aggregated scar tissue from that teaches you what's important what's non-negotiable. Uh, and in our case, in the Sovereignty Network's case, that, that is that patients must own their data set or at least a copy of their data set they can make most valuable because that's the open sesame that ensures you're operating with both the law and what is morally right. And so you learn, don't you, from the trials and tribulations when you're trying to, to create something really big, it probably shouldn't happen quickly because over time you learn how to do it the right way. And you're quite right. Two or three years ago, everyone began to realize that there are some few entities making a lot of money from our data. 
how do we democratize data? How do we actually refresh it and put a put a pause button in and say, how can people take more control of their data and profit from it? And if you haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that and what's important and what the non-negotiable principles are, then you're probably not in the right position to provide the solution. That's how I like to look at it. So I, I like to think of 19 years as, as a necessary runway. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you did a lot of due diligence during that time and built up a, a great network of people who were focused on the same, same area. So as you speak, to the listeners, what words of wisdom do you have for others who are working to make their own impact in the world? I think one thing that comes to mind is my cousin, I'd be older than me, about 15 years of age. And I'll never forget what she told me. She was quite a bit older than me. Maybe she was about 30 at the time. And she said, Hamish, every day I draw a new line in the sand and cross over it. And I thought that was neat. You know, what, no matter what happened in the previous day, you draw that new line, you simply cross over it. And that certainly sustained me over the years at times where it's been very difficult. You think, how can I go on tomorrow? What's going to happen? Well, get through the night, sleep through it. And then the next day, just draw that line and one step followed by another step, things seem to work out. Maybe my own special power is stickability, endurance, but realize it takes a lot of collaboration with others. I think you also alluded to that, who have other special powers to make something big. And, and that's one of the reasons the Sovereignty Network needs to transition, I believe, to becoming owned by network participants themselves, the people, because healthcare data is too valuable, it's too personal to be locked away under key for the benefit of the few. I love that. So don't be overwhelmed. Just take a step at a time and also know that you'll be collaborating with others. You don't have to do it all by yourself. So maybe Make some of those steps to connect with with the right kinds of people who have complementary skills and focuses and just keep working towards that impact that you're working to make. You, you do. You have to keep looking up at the mountain, then back down at your feet and then ahead of you a few yards. And you have to keep going. You have to keep triangulating between that, that mountaintop, what's in front of your feet today, and then who you're working with right now to make things happen over the next few yards of the journey. It's so critical to be able to you know, go between those three different points of, of view. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Hamish. Um, I'm really intrigued by the work that you're doing, and I look forward to seeing how things go as your Kickstarter. So again, if you want to go find that, go to Kickstarter and then the Sovereignty Network. And again, the link will be on today's show notes. You can also connect with Hamish on his LinkedIn profile and Twitter and Facebook. So we'll have all of those links available. Any just parting thoughts, Hamish? No, this has been great, Kirsten. I've really enjoyed this. I guess I'll just say also to people listening that we're starting a, a big trial in Nairobi and Kenya, and we're going to be able to help people there actually own their data sets and then make that available with their express permission. It doesn't happen without their permission to uh, biopharma researchers who are desperately looking for the kind of data they can provide. So if you are interested in coming to Kickstarter, you won't just be helping yourself. You will be helping other people who really need this to happen. So thanks for the consideration. Thank you. I have to say my brother lives in Nairobi. <laughs> Right oh, now, I'll yeah, talk to you after the show, he's lived there, yeah, has lived there a few years. They're getting ready to move, but they've been there a few years. Well, uh, thank you again, Hamish. Yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to furthering our conversation a bit after. And if you are working to make your own impact and you're reaching some bumps, please head to myimpactacademy.com forward slash join. There you will find a wealth of resources that I've created over more than 20 years of helping people just like you become great leaders, impact makers, build teams, and uh, you'll find video, audio, and PDF downloads, just a wealth of information that's organized and available to you 24-7. You also get time with me every other week. Uh, you get to network with other great impact makers. And also we do some very strategic coaching and strategizing together. So do, do head over there. And thanks for listening and get out there and make your bigger, bolder impact. The world is waiting. Mm -hmm.